Welcome back to the Humanity Jitsu Podcast. Today is episode 52. I'm joined by the illustrious, the magnanimous, the beardedocious, I don't even know if that's a fucking word, Nick Chewy Albin. You all know him. You all know, love him. What is up, Chewy? Man, I've never been introduced as the illustrious. That's a, that, that's a new one. That's a new term. <laughs> uh, well, I'm glad to be the first person to describe you as illustrious. I don't know if I'm the first person to ever describe you as illustrious, but in a podcast sense... I'm pretty sure you're probably the first. Illustrious is not a word commonly... Well, maybe it is over there. It's not really a common word that we use over here. Um, illustri- illustrious has very like a very regal-sounding thing to it for the uh, for an American set of ears. What, they expect you to be walking around with like a, a flowing cape and a crown or something? I mean, if you're going to use the, uh, the the term illustrious, then yeah, we would probably expect something to that degree. <laughs> okay, so guys, you all know Chewy from his amazing YouTube channel where he has no doubt helped countless people with their jiu-jitsu queries, questions, techniques, and training, t- training tips and so on and so forth. I got so many questions saying, oh, dude, Chewy helped me out so much. I love that guy. Tell him he, he's so helpful. Like when I didn't have a question, that's what they sent me. But so, guys, that's right. So, Chewy, how did you get started with the YouTube channel, first and foremost? So, how did I get started? Interesting. You know, I kind of wanted to do a YouTube channel as far back as like 2010 when I first began doing uh, the gym stuff full time. Um, I was working at the gym full time and I had some extra time and I always enjoyed YouTube videos and so I thought I was going to do some myself just to share some information and um, I remember when I started doing my very first video I wasn't very polished in my ability to speak and my girlfriend was literally laughing about it and so kind of discouraged me a bit I was like yeah this probably isn't for me and um, and then I came back to it in 2014 on some re- any regularity where, um, cause I posted a couple videos here and there, but in 2014, getting into 2015, I started posting videos, uh, primarily for my students to remind them of the techniques that we had been going on, uh, over in class. And so then it was at that point that, um, you know, I was doing drill videos and I was doing all this stuff. And then, uh, some people started to follow me, you know, and that was kind of different. And I remember one of my students telling me in passing i was just we were passing each other in a whole foods and he kind of mentioned it because i would do these blogs uh on some regularity and he said man he's like you should do videos he's like you talk all the time in the gym and we listen like you should just do videos and so he said that and i started noticing that like i had a had a tendency to go on these long rants about god knows what inside the gym and then i would notice that i would have these like little groups of people listening to me and so um when i started getting questions on the channel that weren't necessarily a technique, I just started, you know, answering them in what's kind of now my little chewy ramble format where I just get in front of the video and talk and the drills combined with the rambles and all this stuff sort of made this perfect storm. And then it kind of just grew from there. Mm. So man, like I can just imagine being in your gym, like the, the, cause it's weird how conversations work. Like I catch myself think, or just tr- with trains of thought, like you're thinking about one thing or you could be discussing one thing and then you just trail off to something else. Like mm-hmm. imagine you're talking about imagine you're talking about collar drags or something and then you go on a massive fucking rabbit hole and you end up talking about how uh, the last samurai isn't historically accurate at all or something. <laughs> well, it's not. Um, it, it's based off of a historical um, happening. But uh, the um, 
You see, that's how it happens. Um, you know, the uh, my students do that actually all the time. They'll the uh, uh, like sort of throw in things like that to get me going. But usually, like before class and after class, there's a lot of just talk before classes that has really nothing to do with jujitsu. Like we're just kind of you know shooting the shit. You know, we'll just talk with each other and whatever's going on. We all just kind of talk very freely and chat, and then after class starts, we do jujitsu, and that's all. And then after the end of class, we go back to talking because it's this, you know, everybody knows it's kind of a part social thing. You get to go in there with friends, people you enjoy being around with. And um, it would be in those settings before and after class where I would just talk about just random things. And uh, it could be everything from historical stuff that I thought was interesting, some random fact, a, jet, a dad joke, or even um, me going on some rant about milk. There was a milk rant that was going around for a while that everybody thought was funny. Um, so you just never knew what it was, but it was just I was going on these rants all the time. Oh, oh man, you you just brought back a fucking a cherished childhood memory with the milk thing. So uh, when I was in primary school or uh, elementary school or whatever you want to call it, we mm-hmm. had this uh, you know the the principal of the school or the headmaster who was called at our place. And like uh, one time, one time our teacher was on her honeymoon, like she just got married and she was on her honeymoon for like two weeks. So like we, we were just working away doing whatever. And he came in and gave us all a fucking three hour speech about pasteurized milk or some shit one day. And he wouldn't let us do any work. And if we like mm. reached for our, our like notepads to do some work, he's like, ah, you know, I need to tell us about fucking pasteurized milk. I'm like, man, shut up. It's <laughs> terrible. Pasteurized milk is terrible. Terrible. Oh God! I, I'm that. See, I'm that dude. Like I was like that because what, what was he telling you about the how terrible pasteurized milk is? Man, this was like uh, 15 years ago. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. So like like so my crazy ass like I um there was one point where I I got up to about 255 pounds. Um, I'm not sure what that is offhand in kilos, but it's about it's about like 25 kilos heavier than what I am right now. Um. And then uh, I remember when at the time all the the guys were saying you need to drink milk. But when I would drink milk, it made me feel so sick. And so I used to go out to this farm. It was about 30 minutes away from my my, my town, right? Like Because my town's a pretty good-sized town. We've got about a million-plus people. But you can go 30, 40 minutes out, and you're in farmland, right? And so I would go out to this farm, and I would buy milk for, from a, 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 a like a house. Oh, and it was raw milk, so it was not pasteurized. But it was funny because, you know, with the dairy farmers and stuff like that, they have all these uh, lobbying groups. And so you can't just buy milk from the cow. So what we had to do is I had to invest a certain amount of my – I had to invest, air quotes, to purchase a piece of that livestock to own a piece of the cow. And mm-hmm. then I could – pay money to get dividends of raw milk. And so I would go up there and buy like these, these gallons of this raw milk. And then I would eat, I would drink those, uh, instead of it. And I could drink raw milk all day long and there was no burping. There was no like heavy filling my stomach. It was fine. And, um, I got big as a house, but, uh, but then I could, but that was because I did a bunch of like digging into about what actually happens with pasteurized milk. So, <laughs> like uh, we we've all heard the fucking um the, the joke like uh with two percent milk like uh, i don't know what the other 98 percent is <laughs> yeah right it's you know the, the the fat being removed and stuff so i mean then you get down to skim milk and you're basically just drinking like white water <laughs> and then there's a whole other tangent about chocolate milk and its derivatives yeah i mean it's it it's 
like I said, you know, it's it's you know, I, I don't I don't drink very rarely will I ever drink milk anymore just because it's you can't find it uh, unpasteurized and unhomogenized. And so I, I just kind of stay away from it most of the time. You know, what's your cat's drink then? Do they drink water or what's the deal? Cat, my, my cat, he drinks water. Uh, he drinks water and he eats cat food. And uh, he'll get some uh, every now and then, like when we make like, some, like some steak or some tuna or something, he'll get like a little sliver of that. Mm. Uh, uh, I'm gonna get this. My neighbor has a cat, and uh, guys, I swear to God, this will get on to jujitsu. But I just want to say this: like, uh, you know, it's it's really hot now in Ireland, so we leave some of the doors and windows open, and you know, since we, you know, so that's grand. And this fucking cat just walks right into our house without us seeing it, and goes up the stairs, goes into this one bedroom, and just sits her ass down the fucking bed for hours on end. I only noticed when I went in to grab a fucking like Xbox controller out of that room. I'm like, why is there a fucking cat in my house? <laughs> no, you said hot in Ireland. What's hot? Well, you know, it's not like America hot, but even if the sun comes out, we're like fucking a, rate, a fucking country of vampires. If the fucking sun comes out at all, we're either going to burst into flames, get sunburned, or just, well, you know, fucking complain. I, uh, I have a buddy that lives over near, I think, Newcastle in England. And uh, he said that they don't even have, they, they don't have air conditions. You know, they said they don't need them because it rarely ever gets that hot. So they just have fans and stuff, but they don't have air conditions. Now, man, uh, it's more noteworthy to say when the weather is, uh, is when it's not raining than when it is raining. You know, it, that's just the natural <laughs> state. It's always just raining, raining, raining all the time. Fair enough. Okay, so guys, to finally get on to Jiu-Jitsu 11 minutes in, I I don't even care whatever i'm that guy man we're we're gonna go on tangents because i just start rattling off about stuff that's just what happens dude i fucking love tangents i live for tangents even fact i'm going on a tangent right now about tangents what am i supposed to do that's right (laughs) also chewy how'd you get into martial arts did you train anything else before starting Mm jiu-jitsu so i did um so i was interested in martial arts from the time of the kid like many kids my age um, I grew up in the late 80s, early 90s, so that meant that I grew up watching like martial arts movies. I grew up watching things like Ninja Turtles, and I mean, gosh, it was just like all the all the martial arts stuff. And so I was interested in martial arts from a young age, and I originally got into Taekwondo because there was a Taekwondo at the local community center down the street, and so I used to go there. And um, I remember I got my yellow belt after like you know a month or something and breaking a board. I remember the I, I, I used to love the movie Bloodsport. It was like it's one of my favorite all time movies, even though it's really terrible now. But when I was a kid, I used to watch that movie all the time and I used to dream about fighting in, in the Kumite. And so I remember when I was about mm, seven years old, I was uh, I was at a Taekwondo practice and I was peeping into where a lot of the older kids were doing their sparring sessions and it looked so cool. I was like, man, I want to be doing that. So my sensei comes out and I'm, I'm, I asked him, I was like, Hey, when can I do that? And he said that I had to be a blue belt before I got to, uh, to do sparring. Well, I, got frustrated because I was like, well, you know, I'm never going to get to be able to fight in the Kumite if I don't get to spar. And so I kind of lost interest. And um, I got into what I would consider my first real practical martial art later on in wrestling, in high school wrestling. And so I started wrestling in high school. 
And that was really useful. That's where I first learned how to, in reality, I actually learned how to fight through wrestling. And then when my wrestling season was almost over my senior year, I started really getting interested because I'd watched the UFC as a kid, like most people, but the UFC kind of was gone for a while like for the most part it was off tv it wasn't around anywhere you couldn't order pay-per-views it was just it was what they they refer to that period with the ufc as the dark times like the, the sort of the dark ages if you will and um i got interested in, actually my junior year i got interested in the ufc and pride and same stuff like that and so i started watching those events and getting into it and then that's when i was like i've got to do jiu-jitsu because i wrestle and i've got to learn how to submit people and that's what led me down to jiu-jitsu was from from that because i wanted to fight in mixed martial arts and um also getting out of wrestling i really enjoyed competing and so i wanted to make sure that i was able to continue to compete and so jiu-jitsu offered that as well because um where i was going to go to college they um they didn't offer any wrestling programs there so mm. uh see to bring it back to the 80s cartoons you mentioned you mentioned fucking ninja turtles now we're oh, gonna yeah. settle this one, we're gonna settle this once and for all which was the best Ninja Turtle? You better you better have the right answer. <laughs> well, I mean, like, you know, for me, I always liked Leonardo. Ah, finally, someone with some class. You know, we, you know, it's funny. We were having this conversation the other night. So I like Leonardo, my, one of my black belts, who is like, he's a, he's a fun-loving, goofy guy who used to skateboard. He loved Michelangelo. Um, Joe. Joe liked Donatello. But I... I told him that he would probably be more akin to Raphael. Um, but we were we were talking about this exact conversation the other night. Oh man, do you know what's weird? Like I remember this back in like uh nineteen ninety-eight, or like uh, I, I see I like I had these videotapes and there was this live action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles show. I can't remember what it was called, but they added in a fifth turtle that was a girl and had like a light blue headband. I'm like, why? That's so fucking weird. Yeah, fifth turtle. Yeah, you know, you don't need to do that. Um, That's such you know, a weird concept. There, well, there's there's for no reason. Oh, there's five turtles. Like, there's four turtles. Like, there's there's those four, and if we want a different show, then just make a different show. You don't need to like, you know, try to like bring in the rest of them. You know. Oh, and also here's the kicker: in one episode, they fucking went and fought the Power Rangers for some reason. Oh wow, that would have been that, that's an interesting thing. The yeah, the Power Rangers. I grew up watching them as well. Um, I was a I I, I liked the Green Ranger when I was a kid. Uh dude, uh, White Ranger all the way. I know it's the same guy, but uh, Tiger Zord is better than Dragon Zord. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Bro. I mean, yeah, maybe you know. How old are you? Twenty one. Twenty one. So gosh, dude, that was like you were like a baby when that was going on. Well, they had a lot of reruns on this one uh, fucking channel when I was growing up, so uh, I'm, 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 in, I'm in the know on those shows. Okay, because I was going to say, because like, I remember being like about eight years old watching the White Ranger. I was like, and so you probably weren't even born yet. <laughs> <laughs> nah, man. That, but to be fair, on the upside, that stuff was, I had like a huge backlog of stuff to watch. So like, I was born at the right time. I had a whole bunch of stuff to go through, so I wasn't waiting each week. Like, Oh no, is the fucking uh are the fucking megazords gonna be destroyed this this week? Like, you know, I had a, I had, you know, all the stuff in backlog. <laughs> that was an upside though. Let's see. Ah, see, Chewy, what'd you say 
in like your transition to wrestling to jiu-jitsu what'd you say is the thing you struggled with most playing off my back I mean, I've talked about this plenty of times. It was the hardest thing to do because in wrestling, you're you're wired not to be on your back. It's just, it's bad. It's not good to do. And so it took me, it took me a while to embrace being able to be on my back and be comfortable with that. And so that was probably the hardest transition uh, for me from wrestling to jujitsu. Man, it's a good, it's a bad thing that uh, see lapel guard or anything like that didn't exist back in the day because I say that. You say that would have made it easier or harder for you, like messing around with worm guard or something. Oh, it existed. Um, see, the thing is, is a lot of times people think that these positions didn't exist. They just didn't exist in maybe their their depth. But people were always playing the lapel guard. I mean, like I remember one of my first sweeps that I learned how to do from an open guard was a lapel guard. You'd feed the lapel through the legs, and you'd grab a collar and come up almost with a single leg type position. So. Um, a lot of these positions are not necessarily, they're not like they've never been done. It's just the level of depth that goes into them is far more than it used to be. Um, but like we we always used to pay, you would play with lapels and stuff like that. You just didn't use them in the same level that you would worm guard or something like that. Mm. Yeah, question. You know that sweep uh, where you feed the, feed the lapel through the leg and you have the collar and you come up to a single leg? How long ago did you learn that? Just a curiosity. Mm. Mm. 16 years ago. Oh, so they had worm wrestling 16 years ago, and Keenan's trying to say it's a new thing now. Keenan, well, you're a fraud. Shame I on mean, you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wouldn't call him a fraud. Um, you know, I, it is what it is. It's like, for instance, like things like Barambolo came out. And everybody's like, oh my God, Barambolo, right? It's like this crazy thing. But if you go back and watch, there were dudes that, was, that were inverting before the Barambolo was a thing, right? Now, Barambolo, they went down the rabbit hole with that position and they 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 did it. See, the thing is with the internet, information can proliferate so much faster. See, back in the day, if you wanted to learn those things, you literally had to go train with that person. And so the information, the spread of information was much slower. So now things are much quicker as far as the information, the way that it spreads. And so I think that that allows moves and techniques and positions to proliferate much faster. But at the same time, a lot of positions are just, they've been around. It just, you know, people kind of pick up on them. Like for instance, heel hooks, heel hooks have been around forever. Like they've been around like the very first, the very first submission I ever got put on, put in by my friend who we didn't know what the hell we were doing. We were just like replicating stuff we saw in UFC fights. He heel hooked me. Like it's been around from the very first moment I ever trained. And, um, you know, it's just the way that people, they, the, the way that they go into those positions, the way they dive into them and the nuance that they d develop and the details that they develop, that's the difference. But the general, the guts of it are, they've always been there. I mean, there's only so many ways you can move around and millions of people are training. Eventually someone's going to stumble upon it. It just depends on the person that really gets into it and goes down deep down the rabbit hole. Hmm. Uh, so dude, what would you, on the topic of he looks and the like? What would you say is your favorite submission, just in general, to catch in competition, the gym, wherever, your favorite submission, just hands down? Mm, I'd probably say my favorite's a rear naked choke. Um, I just, I, it's a fun submission. I like being able to take the back, and I like being able to choke someone. It's something that um, you can use against someone no matter what size they are. And uh, there's something about taking the back that I find satisfying. 
you know, like, uh, you know, I'll do all kinds of other submissions and I'll take anything that's there. But when it comes down to it, I enjoy taking the back. I enjoy passing someone's guard, taking the back and sinking in the choke. That's just a very satisfying feeling for me. Mm. Uh, dude, you're doing the whole B, uh, what's it, BTK method. <laughs> what's it's, that? Uh, it's, uh, BTK stands for bind, torture, kill. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I'm not familiar with that. I, uh, I'm an uh, old man, so like if you're using any new lingo on me, I, I won't understand it. Oh no, dude, the BTK killer was around way back in the day. To be fair, oh, like, the BTK the killer. Okay, you're right. I uh, see, because I heard this sort of li- I heard this off a of Kurt Oziander one time on a podcast. Like, oh, dude, BTK, brah, fucking bind, torture, kill, dude. Uh, <laughs> terrible impression. <laughs> yeah, no, I get what you're saying. I, I, per- for me, I probably would, uh, you know probably kind of stay a little bit more reserved associating what I do with a, uh, like a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, it's all, it's all in good fun. It's all in good strangulations. Uh, <laughs> I think it's pretty apt though, to be fair. To well, sure. Sort of... sure. Each of my guests is what was the first sort of seminar you attended for jujitsu? Do you remember what was taught in it and who was teaching it? Mm-hmm. My first seminar was in 2003, in October of 2003. Uh, the person teaching it was a guy named Pablo Popovich, who is a, he's an ADCC champion, and he's a hell of a grappler. And the seminar was uh, focused around a lot of like butterfly guard, daily heva guard, some of the new stuff that was coming out of Brazil in 2003, um, which obviously now is like whatever. But uh, it was some good stuff. So and that was actually a seminar where I – this is like, again, when I'm going through this process of not wanting to be on my back. I remember going to that seminar and seeing, like, the potential that guard had. Like, it didn't have to be just closed guard. There's butterfly guard. There's just daily heva guard. There's a lot of variations that you can that you can play around with, and many of them are dynamic. And so it was when I went to that seminar that, that I started to kind of, like, chip away – at that desire to never want to be on my back because I, I thought about these positions. I thought, man, some of these are pretty cool. I wouldn't mind using this one. And this works with my wrestling. I'm in a butterfly guard position. I can come up for singles and doubles if this doesn't work. And so that was uh, the focus of that particular seminar. Man. Like it just clicked really well to become a mainstay in your game. You've just integrated so well. Has that ever happened? Um, you cut out a little bit on that. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. See, have you ever gone to a seminar and integrated something so well that you learned from it and become a mainstay of your game? Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say a seminar. Probably the strange. Like honestly, I like seminars, but seminars take a little bit longer for me to hang on to. So I typically try to record the information so I can go back to it later. My favorite classes that I ever go to are like when they teach like two techniques, you know, just like two, te- two things, two, three things. That's it. Um, one position to there. I'll give you two examples. One class that I went to my old coach, uh, Hanato Tavares, he taught a random Friday class and he, this was the day before the seminar. And I remember he showed three moves and it was from this half guard position that he was uh, showing and that half guard position just immediately clicked with me. I started using it. I started showing it to everyone, teaching it during some classes, and it just was instantly started working. I still use it to this day. 
Um, another one was my coach, Sean Hammonds. I went down to his, uh, his gym and he was teaching some standing guard passing again this is back in the day when the standing guard passing was kind of a, a little bit not i don't want to say new because it was always around but it was being redeveloped and he was showing some toriando and um mule kick and x pass variations that i just thought were amazing and i started using them and they clicked immediately and so there were those times with situations like that where things would click but uh you know usually what ends up happening is is it's it's not necessarily always like it's going to instantly click. It's like you learn it and you play, play around with it and then it sort of slowly seeps into your game a little bit. At least it's been like that for me a lot of times. But there are those times where you learn something and it instantly clicks. Hmm. Uh, see, man, I got to say, one of the times that happened with me was with a sort of Christian Woodman C. He had, he had a seminar at our place about mm-hmm. a year ago, I think, give or take. The fucking, uh, this one, just the technical stand-up sweep from De La Eva guard, the way this one detail he, meant, he mentioned with, with the grip and stuff was it was so helpful. I just kept hitting people with this fucking sweep. I'm like, that man's a fucking genius. Yeah, Christian, he did a seminar at our gym as well, and uh, he had a couple grip breaks that I hadn't really seen before that, and it was, again, maybe seem simple to some people, but there were a couple simple grip breaks, and they were incredibly useful for me for, uh, for breaking people's grips when I'm in, in a standing position. Yeah, bit of a sidetrack here, but did he make any weird sound effects while breaking the grips? Like, like you know, you can't make, you can't do a good grip break without making a big like exhale. In my opinion, I think he made some. Uh, he made some. He made a, probably a few noises, and he had uh, fun names for things like the Rick James and um, some different uh, some different movements that he had you know names for. Oh man, I just thought <laughs> I just thought of a little thing there. Like, uh, how about you call a he look in the gi of the Tommy Wiseau? Like, if you, have you ever seen The Room? No, what is that? Oh, it's this really terrible movie with this guy Tommy Wiseau. He can't really speak English that well, but in this one scene, he, he's like saying he didn't do something. He's like, I did not. He's saying he did not do something. And he says it's really weird. Just call the oh. he look in the gi the Tommy Wiseau. He's like. No, I didn't. He looking the gi. I did not. <laughs> I've never seen that movie. No, is that is that a popular movie? Well, it's a uh, popular. It's popular to hate it because it's like really, 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 really bad. He, uh, like okay. James Franco made like a movie about that movie called Disaster <laughs> Artist. It's like it's notoriously bad. Oh wow! No, I uh, man, I don't even own a TV, so I miss out a lot of like movies and stuff like that. Hmm. Oh, well, you're probably better off because, you know, you're not uh, seeing a lot of the terrible movies that are going around the place. And, like, you know, it's it's more of a time thing. Like, I just, I don't really get into too many of them that much. And usually if I watch a movie, it's usually specifically for to hang out with Jess and stuff. But otherwise, I don't really like to watch, uh, I don't like to sit around a TV too much. I got rid of my TV when I was, like, 20, I think, like, 20, 21. Hmm. Oh, well, you're probably better off for it because, you know, so many people just spend all their evenings flat down in front of the television. It's fucking weird. You know, it's oh, weird man, I, I was guilty of it, bro. I used to sit there and I'd just flip through channels and watch shows I didn't even enjoy watching, but I was just watching them and I would spend tons of time. I'd stay up too late and it was just kind of a time suck. Mm. Uh, see, in my defense... Most of the most of the times I use a TV for are either 
like I have a hard drive with jiu-jitsu instructions on it, so I plug it into the TV and I watch watch it on the big screen. You know, some Marcelo Garcia guillotine stuff, or mm-hmm. I, I spend or I spend all day playing Hitman on the PS4 and killing people in uh, extremely creative ways. No, I'm not judging because we all spend time and waste time. Um, you know, we all have time that we just screw off and do nothing. Um, I just sort of made a de- conscious decision to not spend my screw off time doing it on the TV. Mm. You know, what but did if, you do if, 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 screw off time, pray tell? Um, let's see. Um, I, I, my lifts, like my, when I lift weights, my, my, my lifts sometimes take too long i end up uh, hanging out with my friends at the gym a lot longer than what like if i teach like an hour let's say an hour and a half class i will probably be in the gym for two and a half hours right because there's just time i'm gonna just bullshit and talk uh, i will i read a lot so i'll read a lot of different books um random stuff and, and not all of it and, and not all of it is like specifically for business or something so some of it is just like screwing off book book reading where i'm just i'm just interested in the subject or something but it has no real like relevance to my vocation or anything i'm just enjoying it um but uh like yeah it's stuff like that i mean it, it, it's that's kind of what i usually do with my screw off time most of the time mm. and i'll oh, and uh, i'll i'll watch like lots of uh random stuff on youtube because i'll just i get interested in subjects and so i'll watch random stuff on there so mm. Yeah, I must know, audiobooks, yeah or nay, or do, or you, uh, do you prefer, like, having the physical thing there with you? I'm, I'm an equal opportunity, like, information absorber, so uh, I'll, I read books, both in physical form, and I have, a, I have a, you know, an e-reader as well, but um, I have, I've been an Audible subscriber since uh, 2000, and I think 2009, 2010, um, so I've been, I have hundreds of audiobooks on my phone. So uh, I'm a big fan of audiobooks. Mm. Yeah. What was the most recent audio audiobook you got, just out of curiosity's sake? Mm. Most recent one that I've been listening to, let me bring it up here, is it's Kevin Hart's book. Um, he's a comedian, uh, if you're not familiar. But he has a book called uh, I Can't Make This Up, Life Lessons uh, by Kevin Hart. And so he uh, it's 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 a it's pretty long, but it's it's him it's him he's oh, he's doing the narration of it and uh it's hilarious because it's like some useful lessons it really really is like some useful ideas and lessons and uh he grew up pretty poor which i resonate with because i grew up poor and so there's like a lot of stuff that even though we grew up in neighborhoods there's still similarities of like that just poor people understand i'm like oh I, like i know what that was like um but he um but in the book, it's it's him narrating, and it's it's like one part insightful and useful information, and like like one part hilarious, and then another part just kind of entertaining. And so I've uh, I've been listening to that on Audible, and uh, it's been pretty good. Yeah, just to get a bit of a uh, range, what is what's the second one? Like what's beneath the Kevin Hart one? Just to see if it's similar or if it's completely different, so I can see the sort of variety you have. Um, the, the, the second one that would like just looking at literally looking at like the recent listens, um, I've got, there's a, um, it's a kind of like a grouping. It's called mastery of life. Um, it's basically the essays of success, uh, the essay of compensation, self-reliance, spiritual laws and fate by Ralph Waldo Emerson. Um, the next one below that is, is, a it's basically a lecture on Rumi, uh, the, you know, sort of middle Eastern sort of mystic poet. Um, then there's Zen mind, beginner's mind. And then we get into, uh, there's a Frederick Douglass biography. I mean, you know, so it's just all over the place. You know, if I find something interesting, I'll just dive into it. 
Uh, I got two really strange pairings here if you're up for it. I got Permanent Record by Edward Snowden. That's a really good one so far. Okay. And, and here's the here's the here's where you get the tonal whiplash. It's uh Brain Droppings by George Carlin. Brain, oh, I, I bet that one's fantastic. Uh, oh, George dude, Carlin, so- he he was such a he was such an interesting guy um, to sort of see his perspective on things. And he is. He, like when I first discovered George Carlin like uh, a few years ago and I, I first watched a few of his stand-up routines, man, I was just fucking howling, laughing. It was like mm-hmm. me slapping, genuinely busting my gut, laughing. It was so funny. Like it was just so, and his book is even fucking greater, like not sponsored by the way, but people go listen to brain droppings by uh, George Carlin. No sponsor. <laughs> yeah. My first, my first like encounter with George Carlin was him breaking down the uh the ten commandments that was the first one I ever heard and he broke them down to what was it like two two commandments <laughs> you know two commandments. So, yeah it's, it was a pretty funny bit yeah he did have a good point about some of them being deliberately uh artificially inflated because you know like he's like breaking them breaking them up into separate ones and they should be like it falls into the same category of behavior that's a really good point yeah, sure. Uh, you know, and even some of them are kind of uh, like some of them are just kind of almost necessary at times, you know, like the uh, the one like you won't neighbors belongings or whatever. And you're like, that's just kind of what humans do. It's it's why we all start pushing ourselves, because we look at Bob and Bob's doing better than us. We're like, we're going to do better than Bob or we're going to push ourselves to do as good as Bob or whatever. You know what I mean? It's just it's the way it is. Mm. Uh, man, that's a good point. But man. Some of the questions I get for coaches and stuff, I'm always curious about this because coaches have a whole different perspective on things. Mm. What's the first sort of technique you sort of teach to beginners people? Say it's their first day. What's the first thing you teach them? Mm, depends on what we're covering. So um, the the first class that they'll get will depend on what the subject matter is that we're going over um, in the class at that time. Um, but, you know, uh, there's different things you could show. I tend to like to show people like – I like to expose them to the guard because I want them to see what jujitsu is like one of the quintessential positions of jujitsu is the guard. And so, um, you know, typically I'll end up doing something where I'll show them like a scissor sweep to mount because the scissor sweep is such a, a core movement. Even you take the sweep out of it, the movement used to, to execute a scissor sweep is essentially is that shrimp and hip escape motion. And so that's super useful. And then when they get to mount, understanding how to establish mount, and then I show them how to do a key lock. So they understand how to do a submission from top, a sweep from bottom, and then I'll typically show how to escape from mount. So this way when the person gets to mount, they can understand how to escape it. And I find that that's kind of cool to sort of give them a little bit of both sides of it, just to expose them to, you can fight off your back. Here's how to do a submission. And here's how to escape a position. Like that kind of hits a lot of the the different um, different ideas that jiu-jitsu has, right? That you can you can be effective, that you can escape bad positions, and we learn how to submit people. Those are like three really important ideas in jiu-jitsu, and so that would be maybe a, like sort of a sample of what I might give a, a beginner in their first day. Mm. See, what would your sort of coaching style be? Would you sort of prioritize drilling, rolling, or positional sparring? What's your sort of take? It depends on the person. Um, you know, it, it just, it's not always going to be the same. And depending on what that person has coming up, um, will dictate, you know, what they need to be doing. So for instance, if you've got a competition this week, like, let's say if you, it's, it's Monday and you're competing on like Saturday, 
uh, we're probably not going to roll that hard because I need to make sure you're healthy. So we're going to do a ton of drilling and uh, make sure that you have your muscle memory there, but at the same time, you're not injured. Um, when adding new new positions, I tend to like to focus a lot of the training on situational sparring to be in the position that we're trying to work on. So, for instance, if we're working on a new type of guard, and you know, I know that the people are not used to this particular type of guard, well, I don't want to send them off into a full role where basically they will not get a chance to work from the position. I'm going to force them to play from that position, and we'll set up different situational sparring where they're focused uh, in those areas. And then, um, you know, but then there's times where we just want to do some full training and do some full rolling and really get after it and uh, go from there. So it really depends on the person, where they're at. Um, and typically in the beginning, when people are newer, I tend to focus a lot more on repetitions of techniques. And then when it comes down to uh, training, the training is focused in situational areas because I don't want them getting out of spaces that, like, for instance, if you come in for your first day, um, well, for, you won't roll on your first day, but let's say you come in, you've been training with us for a week or something, and I want to let you try to roll a little bit. I don't, if you have done like guard passing and maybe a sweep or something, I don't want to get you to start on your feet and then maybe get taken down and post your arm and break it or something. So I'll keep you down and let you only work from the guard positions and, and stuff like that. And then later on, as we go through the cycles of training, slowly learn little bits and pieces of all the positions and then we can just have you do a full roll by combining it all mm. because then we've all seen it we all know the stereotype but man seeing people roll for the first time it's like the fucking adcc final they're just go fucking they're clubbing each other they're going crazy because you know it's a fucking high stress sort of uh situation they're freaking out it's like i had ken peters on one time and he said it's a lot like when he tried to like put a saddle on a horse for the first time they're like kicking and jumping because they do not fucking want that on top of them so it's well, very that, weird well people don't know what they're they don't their bodies don't know what's going on right like so the person knows they're in a safe environment but the thing is is the the you know intellectually your mind the thinking is really of it, it's not the to me, in most cases, it's not the main importance when it comes to jiu-jitsu. It's the, the intelligent, the intelligence that's sort of nestled into your body, right? Because, again, what do you go off of when you're in the middle of a, a fast-paced role? You're not going into, hmm, let me think about this for a second. He could probably put this collar here, and I can do this. And then you're not that. You're going off of mostly on instinct. You're going off of intuition that's been built into your body. And so when your body is placed in a stressful situation that it has no, like, it has no experience with it. it has no muscle memory developed from it just freaks out and goes crazy and so in that sense you know it, it makes complete sense i mean i was that way you know and I, th I think most people were that way when they first started training it's just a really stressful environment your body doesn't know the right things to do and so therefore you're just freaking out and and uh you go for about maybe a minute and a half two minutes and then you're exhausted i mm. see man do you have any advice for future gym owners? Because we all know opening up a gym isn't all sunshine and rainbows. It's not just uh, good times and happy rolling, you know. Mm -hmm. So do you have any advice for like sort of pitfalls for people to sort of, uh, what's it, avoid? The word avoid just disappeared from my head for a second. Any pitfalls for them to avoid? Oh, man, there's plenty. Um, you know, when I look back at myself 10 years ago, <laughs> I had no clue what I was doing. Um it worked out, though. Uh, one, one thing I would say is that you need to be dedicated to actually running a business. And I know that this makes people sometimes feel funny because most of us, myself included, never got into this 
because I wanted to operate a business. I was I wanted to teach jujitsu. But the problem is that if the business doesn't run, your ability to teach is not there anymore. And you do you do yourself and your students a disservice by not running a successful business. Because if you like I, I've gotten so many messages over the years where people say, Man, I was really enjoying my gym, but they had to close down because the instructor couldn't foot the bills anymore. You know, and to me that sucks because that person found a place that was their home and now their home is gone. And uh, it, it sucks. It's not fun. And so I think it's important for black belt or, you know, not necessarily black belts, but the instructors to take on that same mindset of a beginner that's trying to learn towards the business aspect of everything, just as they with, with their training. But a lot of times what ends up happening is, is you'll see people who are good at jujitsu and they think that just because they're good at jujitsu, there's the, the, the gym is somehow going to work and it just doesn't work that way. Uh, rarely works that way. You have to have some other things in place and you have to run a successful business. You know, And one of the things that um, I've been fortunate enough to do is be able to actually run a successful business. Our gym does incredibly well. And uh, a big part of that is because I spent a lot of time reading, studying, buying courses, uh, meeting up with mentors, um, you know, literally sometimes paying people in other business spaces money just to have lunch with them and learn from them so that this way I could take in the information, right? I became a student, just like you pay someone to go to a seminar. Okay. I'll, I'll pay you to go to your, to, to go have lunch with you and just bu bug you with questions. But doing that gave me such a deeper understanding of the business and in uh, business in itself doesn't change much from business to business. It's about the same. Um, but it allowed me to do those things. And what the beautiful part about that is, is that by running a successful business, I've been able to, with my business partner, support the students in a better way. We have a great gym. It's got a, a, a fantastic uh, facility. Um, we spent uh, over the last year, we spent about $10,000 in sponsorships to our students just because we'll, uh, I'll bring in people for seminars and don't charge them a free to them sometimes and a lot of times. And so it allows us to do things that aren't capable if you just don't have the money there. And so um, the being a student of the business, not just a stu student of jiu-jitsu, if you own a gym is incredibly important. Hmm. So man, this question, this always trips people up, this next one. Uh, it always gets them to go, ooh, ooh, ah, let me think, it's a good thing. I, I love asking people this one. So what would you say is the most important value you've tried to instill in your gym environment? Well, I don't know that there's just one, but I think the ge the general idea the, the I think the core value is that you build up yourself so that you can reach back and pull in, pull, uh, pull up others, right? Because to me, that's what it's all about. If like for me, my job is to make myself as good as I can possibly do or it can possibly be so that I can reach down and pull up others with me. Um, even when I look in the business aspect, I drive myself forward so this way I can use that to help other people out. I expect people that when they're training, as they grow, I want to see them helping out others. So if I have like a blue belt, purple belt, brown belt, another black belt, as they get better, I want to see them saying, hey, you're new here. Let me help you out. Like I want to see them helping pull people because as long as we're interlocked in that, that manner where everybody's trying to make themselves better and at the same time reaching back to whoever's under them and saying, hey, come with me. I figured out a few things. Let me show you some stuff. Then that is so important. And to me, that's um that's something that like our society lacks in a lot of ways because – 
you know, at least in my gym, a lot of times I've seen things that sort of, you know, there's jujitsu, yes, but a lot of times there's things that have crossed over into almost like mentorship in a lot of ways, whether it would be with me or with other people. And it's something that I think is sorely needed in a lot of communities, because if you look at like old tribal societies, you would have these places where the older men could meet with like the younger men in the tribe and show them what it meant to be a man and, and to help them along in their journey. You would have tri- uh, tribal uh, groups where older women could meet with the younger women and say, hey, let, let us help you out with your place in life. And I feel like those kinds of environments are sorely needed where you should have places where younger men can meet with older men as well and train and, and, and be helped along and not just even younger men, but people that are trying to find themselves and finding a community where you have a, a group of people that are kind of, it's like kind of like a rock where people can kind of like latch onto and find some stability. I've had people that were younger, older, whatever, and they come into a group of people that are all trying to push themselves to be better. And they're very, other people coming in saying, hey, yeah, if, you, if you're ready to train hard, come on with us and we'll try to help you out along the way. Again, all those things in that manner, like that, that idea of helping each other out and, and lifting yourself up while you lift other people up, it's a beautiful, it's just a beautiful way to be. And that's probably one of the more important things that I like to sort of instill in the gym is that as you get better, as you make yourself better, you should be pulling up people along, along with you. doesn't mean that you have to sit there and take out all your time to teach and, uh, teach and train, but it just means that Every one of us was helped by someone else. So don't forget that and make sure that you pay it forward to the next group coming after you. Mm. Uh, good answer, man, because, you know, we all know the deal. Because, man, it is just a pra- practicality thing as well. If you, if you teach someone enough stuff, get them up to your level a bit sooner, and, you know, they'll be a, a more decent training partner if you want to break it down that way. You know, sure. It, you know, the whole iron sharpens iron thing, it'll be useful for both of you. Oh yeah. I mean like my, I have a, I have a lot of great training partners in my gym now and I, and I train them, you know, so like back when I first became a, a black belt head coach, I was by white and blue belts. Now, like on our wall, we've got like 10 black belt, um, photos on the, on the mat, you know, and, and these are guys that I trained from the ground up and they became phenomenal training partners and made me much better. Um, you know, again, I put everything, put my heart and soul into those people and they, uh, they've gotten so much better than, you know, with their own efforts with mine as well. And they've grown in different ways. You know, they, they learned from me, but then they went their own direction with techniques and stuff. And the, uh, again, it's a, you're exactly right. If you train other people, then you only make the situation better for you in the long run anyway. Uh, so Chewy, we got a few, uh, few questions off of Instagram. I say, can easily say. These are the most amount of questions we've gotten off the Instagram thing for the podcast because, you know, so many people want to peel back the layers of the Schuster, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you read my emails. <laughs> well, dude, you're, for anyone who isn't subscribed following Chewy's mail list, why, why not get on that shit? It is, it's so good. Like a day, just daily, like, I can't even put into words how much this stuff is awesome to me. You know, did just you get on that? Did you get the one about uh? Did you get the one about getting uh, going into the 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 restaurant with me with a black eye? Oh yeah, the rest the restaurant chick and like oh that was I can't imagine that was a, a fun scenario to be in. It was fun. It was funny to look back on, but yeah, that that one uh, everybody got kind of a kick out of that, that one last week. 
Oh man, something similar happened. Uh, one of my friends from our gym, like uh, he, him and his girlfriend trained together and during the whole mm. lockdown thing where the gyms weren't open. Because of like all the grips and stuff on each on her arm. And then when she went to get like a coffee, someone thought like her boyfriend was beating her up and they'd be like, put a sympathetic hand in her. Are you okay? Are you being uh, abused or anything? <laughs> that sort of thing. They thought she was like being beaten up the whole time, but she's just doing jiu-jitsu. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They they think something's going on. Man, that's so fucking that can't be a good scenario to be in like, oh shit. <laughs> okay, so one of the one of the questions is. As a black belt, have you ever gotten caught in a submission by one of your students? And if so, uh, how do you deal with it? Like, do do you care at all? Like, what's the deal with that? Oh, dude, I've gotten count. I've gotten caught by my students countless times. Um, I mean, I can't count how many times I've been submitted by my students. And uh, you know, when they get me, like, I congratulate them. I'm like, you got me. You know, it is what it is. So, um, you know, I, I want them to get me. You know, because like it, it happens sometimes. Every now and then I'll be playing around with the technique or something and then they'll catch me slipping. And then there's sometimes where like they'll catch me with something I wasn't expecting and I was going hard and they just caught me and it just happens. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited when they catch me. You know, that's that's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to push themselves. And it's like going back to those old martial arts movies from back in the day. The the stu- you know, the 80s movies would always have that montage, you know, where it's like going. And the, the whole point of the montage was you would see the student start to catch and overtake the teacher so my goal of teaching them is to make them good enough so that they can hang with me and possibly beat me because that's the goal right so um i'm if they catch me i'm i'm it is what it is the only thing that i'll say is that let's say um if they catch me in a submission then i will try to submit them quickly because like for me it's like i i know this sounds silly but it's almost like playing a game where if they catch me with one then I, I feel like they're one point up on me so then I gotta even the score and so I gotta try to catch them in a, kind of quickly so then I can even up the score uh, but otherwise uh, it, it's all it's all in good fun so it, it's not a negative thing mm-hmm. no I get you man see uh, what's it how has YouTube affected your gym that's what one guy asked that um it's made it to where people so if you watch my YouTube channel you have a fairly good read on who I am the way that I talk, the way that I am, the, some of the things that I think, you know, one of the things that a lot of people say when they meet me is like, oh, man, you're just like you are on the videos, right? There really isn't much difference. And so, um, you know, with that, people meet me and they watch the videos and they kind of already got an idea as to who I am. So when they meet me in person, it's not much different. And so it, it kind of lets them know what my gym's about, how we do things. And then when they come in, there's... um. They're, they're ready to train. They're ready to go, you know, because they've already been, they've already watched the videos. They've already been kind of onboarded, so to speak, and they're ready to just get down and train hard. See, another question is, uh, is your gym still running? If so, are there any restrictions? Yeah, so if so, are there, what are the restrictions at your gym, if there's any? Yeah, we're, our gym is running, so um, we are training, and the restrictions are pretty simple. We just keep class size somewhat limited, um, you know, and that's about it, man. We, you know, we, we do the, we do all the normal checks, the temperature checks and all that kind of stuff. And we don't let people just hang out for forever and stay at the gym all day. And, um, we just keep the, the classes somewhat limited because if we didn't, we would have, you know, 40 or 50 people in the mat. And so we keep the classes down just a bit so that this way we, um, it doesn't get too, too packed. But other than that, we're training. Cause I, I really do think 
that uh, it's, it's it's super super important for people to stay healthy during this time because obviously with the information that comes out, we the people that are most affected by this in a negative way are typically not uh, they're not they're they're not young healthy people, you know, and so we we want to try to make sure the option for people there to stay healthy is there, and also um, even for people that's just dealing with different stuff. Jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu is such a weird thing because it becomes kind of an anchoring habit for most people. Like I know so many people where when they're training, their diet's in check, they're, they're working out, they're doing all this stuff. And then it, let's say if they get injured, their whole life kind of just like gets out of whack. They get, they gain weight, they do this, they do that. So, um, you know, it's, it's, I think it's a good habit for people to have. have you know, the only thing I tell people is just be, be considerate of others. Like if you're going to come train, don't go out and, try to look for parties with strange people on the weekends or something, you know, just kind of keep your social outings maybe somewhat limited. So this way we limit the possibility of some sort of spread of something, you know, but, mm. but, but that said, by the way, Kentucky was not hard hit like some other areas, you know, some areas were hit really, really rough. Um, we, we were not. Mm. No, I get you. The, this one guy asks advice for like a 61 kg. That's like 140, 140 pounds, give or take rolling mm-hmm. with a hundred, 110 kg plus guys. It's like 220 pounds around the Yeah. Big fellas. Just the, base, just the basic, uh, little guy rolling with a big guy, like a David and Goliath sort of affair. What's your sort of take on that advice wise? Buckle up and be ready to embrace that suck because it's going to suck. You know, the, the thing is, is there's no, like, this is going back to it. There's no silver bullet for conquering. Dip. Like, for instance, I was telling this to my students just last night. If there's someone that has a difficult body type, a difficult style for you, you should train with those people more because you're going to figure out things. And a lot of times it comes from an intuitive thing. It's not as so much of a, hey, coach, what's the perfect technique for me to use on this person? Ah, here it is. Here's the perfect technique. You know, it's not like with jujitsu, it's not like you can just open up a book and, you know, like, for instance, if, if you're like searching up a word, what is the definition of that word? Ah, there it is. Right. That was the word I was looking for. It doesn't work that way. Jiu-Jitsu is like, okay, here's the technique, but this technique may not be be usable for months because you have to deal with the pressure. You have to get comfortable with that uncomfortable pressure. You have to just kind of figure things out a little bit. And so um, because I've, I've had situations like that where I've rolled with guys who are massive and I couldn't deal with them at first. And the more I'd roll with them, the better I got against them. You know, granted, I'm, I'm a I'm a size guy even even when I was like out of high school I was still 190 pounds and so I tend to tell people if you want to be able to beat a particular style or body type you need to roll with those people more it may not be fun it might be uncomfortable but over time you'll learn how to figure things out and a lot of times it comes from more of an intuitive sense on instinct where you just start to figure things out for instance if I if I had a new student who came into my gym and I told him and I never told him, do not turn your back, right? I never said it to him. I never said it was a big deal. He would find out very quickly and he would start, he would start his back because he'd be getting choked all the time, you know, because everybody would be taking advantage of it. And so he would intuitively learn to not turn his back. And so that's a lot of times what happens with people. They start to figure things out against bigger guys. If you're a smaller guy, you'll start to figure things out on how to work against a, a bigger guy over time. Now, again, you can always try to research information and look up, how other smaller people go up against bigger guys. But a lot of times it's just about adapting your techniques to, to take to a particular body type or style. And that just simply just takes some time. Mm. 
see one more question we got is a uh, good diets for competing also a big fan of the two of you apparently he's a fan of mine as well so that's a uh, blow to my ego a bit so thank mm. you very much <laughs> I, I i have fans you have a fan <laughs> um oh, yeah. Yeah, remind me it's fan singular. Oh no, it might, it might, you might, I'm sure you have plural fans. I mean, you got a bunch of people asking questions, so I'm sure you have a couple at least, right? You got some fans. Um, yeah. you know, um, I, was, I wasn't trying to say it like that, I don't want to sound no, like an no. asshole. Um, no, I'm just joking with you, just the way you sound like, ah, oh, that, okay. You know? I didn't want to come off as some facetious asshole, so I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to sound like that. <laughs> no, I'm just messing with you. All right. <laughs> What was the question again? I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good diets for competition. Mm. Okay, so that that's this is. I don't want to speak from indefinite, because different people have different preferences, and different people's bodies respond differently. But tin, just is just my opinion on these things, and this is what's been useful to a lot of people. Um, high carb, high protein, moderate fat, right? So. Uh, carbs, I know that carbs get demonized because, you know, most people live sedentary lifestyles, but when you're training hard, you're doing jujitsu, you're lifting weights, you're doing all that kind of stuff, getting ready for competitions, you need carbs. They, they're just, it's going to be, if you want maximum performance, you want carbs. Not to say that you can't do fine on low carb or whatever, but if you want like, like I've talked to a few Olympians and like, I remember asking them like, what do you think about like low carb diets? You got, you guys Everybody doing low carb diets and they kind of just laughed you know they're like well, no you don't you know you don't see that you know they're like just that silly um which i mean maybe someone does i don't know but they they weren't too uh too supportive of it but i just know for me like i've gone super low carb i've done the keto stuff and i feel fine if i'm not doing much but if i start to really try to push myself for heavy amounts of cardiovascular exercise or lifting i just don't have that top end power so if you're getting ready to compete you're getting getting ready to put yourself into a really hard stressful environment you want to have the maximum output that you can get and so uh i would tend to uh sort of nudge people towards like i said high carbs high protein um and moderate amounts of fat so that would typically look like you know, you could go 1.5 to maybe, uh, excuse me, like one, like, like point, point, uh, point zero eight or point eight, excuse me, point eight to, um, one times your body weight in protein in, in pounds. So for me, that might look around to be about, you know, around 190 to 215 grams of protein and carbs. Typically speaking, if it's a hard training day, I'm going to go probably 1.5 to two uh, times my body weight. So you're looking at, you know, upwards of somewhere in 300 to 400 car that range goes and the moderate fat that'll typically be slightly under hundred, you know? And so that'll give me a lot of carbs to the energy and give me a lot of fuel. Because one of the things that I've noticed is that a lot of people will like my students, they'll say, man, Chewy, I'm, I'm getting really, really tired and I just don't have energy and this and that. And when we look at their diet, they don't eat nearly enough, you know? And the thing is, is if you're, if you're not feeding your body a lot of food, one of the, if you talk to any good nutritionist, one of the things that they'll show you is that if, if you're not eating enough food, one of the first things you'll run into is like being lethargic because your body is simply slowing itself down. You're like, your body's like, Hey, we're not getting enough fuel. We've got to conserve. One of the first things you'll do is if you start to eat a lot of good food and good fuel, you'll start to have more energy because your body's like, Hey, we've got a lot of fuel. Let's go do something. Let's go lift some weights. Let's go be energetic and train hard. But if you're giving your body like just not enough food, not enough fuel, your body's just not going to run properly. And so uh, if I was going to give someone some advice, that's what I would say. 
God damn! I say they got their uh, what's it? I I would say get their money's worth, but they asked for free. They, 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 <laughs> they got their value for the question because that was a really in-depth explanation. So I hope you're happy with that explanation. Because if you're not, why not? <laughs> maybe they just don't. Maybe they don't want to hear. Some people don't like carbs, so maybe they don't want to hear that. <laughs> oh, what else? I mean, uh, <clears throat> what motivates you on a super lazy day? Question mark. Question mark. Question mark. Mm. If I if it's a super lazy day, I'm gonna be lazy, right? Like, why not? You know, like it's this is one of those things where I struggled with this because, you know, I wanted to be a productive junkie. Right. Like I want to I want to be be getting after it all the time. One of the things I've noticed is that uh, it doesn't matter what I try to do. Like if I'm feeling just sluggish, I can try to like push myself through whatever. I'm not going to I'm not going to get that much out of myself. So what I'll typically do is I'll just I'll just go with that feeling. I feel tired. OK, cool. I'm not. I'm just going to shut everything down. I'm just going to chill out. Like yesterday was a great example. Um, Monday, I trained my butt off. I was so tired Tuesday. I trained, uh, I did two hour and a half uh, long rolling sessions, which, you know, doesn't sound like a big deal. I mean, I used to do that kind of stuff for fun, but I'm getting older now. And so that stuff kind of takes it out of me. Plus we were, we were, we were pushing ourselves hard. So Tuesday morning I get up, man, and I'm just dragging and I get a little work done that I had to do, but I just... I just wasn't there. I taught a class, got some emails sent out, um, was doing a little bit of filming, but then I, I just I was running into a brick wall. So I said, screw it. I took a nap. I took a nap. I have I have a hammock in the gym, so I strung up my hammock and just sort of uh, it's almost something psychological. I'll kick off of the wall and I'll just start to rock and it's, I'll rock for a couple of minutes and I'll be out. And I took a nap for about 20 minutes, went, got a cup of coffee, went for a nice long walk at the park. And I uh, was just kind of enjoying the day because it was bright and sunny. And then, man, it was like something came over me right around four o'clock. I all of a sudden felt like I had some energy. It was probably a mixture of that nap and the coffee. And I went in and had a killer lift and then um, got a great training session. in. And so, um, you know, days like that where, you know, I could made some sort of judgment about, oh, I feel I'm feeling lazy today. Oh, I'm so, so lazy or, you know, because people do this. They treat themselves like tyrants a lot of times. They'll beat themselves up. But instead, I just was like, you know what? I feel lazy today. So let's be lazy for a little bit. Let's take a let's take a few hours of just being lazy and let's just enjoy that, you know, and, and then because of that, I had more energy. And I found that to be the case where I'll take rest days or I'll take, you know, a half a day of rest or whatever it is, whatever I decide to do. And it ends up giving me more energy for later rather than trying to push through and do more when I it's just one of those things when I get more when I let myself rest in time to time, I've noticed that I get more output for myself when it's time to really put up the, uh, put up the effort. Mm. Sure. You know what they say? Uh, well, I don't know if they say this, but I say this, uh, laziness is admirable in some cultures. What's that? <laughs> uh, some people say, uh, laziness is admirable in some cultures. Mm. I mean, it just depends. I mean, like I'm not, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's one of those things where I think it's a, it's you've got to honor what's going on with your body, you know. But there's at the same time there's a certain level of laziness that's I, I, like like for me that would not be acceptable, you know. But uh, you know, there there are times where you just got to let your body just have some time off and let it relax and be and just be chill, you know. Um, it's kind of like um, it's like a battery recharging right like sometimes you just need time to recharge and um, we live in the the western world where 
You know, we're just trying to, we're constantly going, 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 going. And, and nobody has the ability like I do to take a nap in the middle of the day. But, um, you know, I'm lucky enough and fortunate enough to, to do that I, I, that I can. But I just notice when I give myself more rest, I get more, pr- like, pr- I get more productivity later on. So to me, it's like going back to just like how you're saying, if you just want to look at it on a very selfish level, right? When you were talking about, or when we were talking about teaching, people and making them better so you have better training partners well if we're just going to look at it on a pure productivity point of view when i take a little bit more rest i get more from myself when i don't give myself any rest i get stressed out overworked my work goes down like my work quality goes down and i'm just not there so it just makes more sense to give myself the rest when my body's telling me i need it you know what i mean Mm -hmm. that makes sense man so guys for each segment of the podcast i like to call around specifics just a bunch of random questions, some about jiu-jitsu, some aren't about jiu-jitsu. So, Chewy, do you want to do a round of specifics? Let's do it. Awesome. Uh, what, would you say, what would you say is your favorite gi in your collection, if you have one? Uh, probably my Origin Athleta gi. Mm. What's this gi look like? Sell it to me. Um, ew, well, it's black. Um, it's black. It's got a, <laughs> the Origin symbol, and... Um, yeah, that's it. I mean, there's nothing really like crazy about it. It's just it's it's a normal gi. Um, Origin just got they've got some really neat. First off, the weave's different. It's not you can't it, like most gis are about the same because they're all made in the same places. Like I don't know if you guys know this. Like most of the gis are made in the exact same factories. They just like switch off the patches and the logos, and boom, you got the gi right. Like because you can literally go down. And they say, hey, I want a gi just like the show your old gi. Boom, they'll send you a show your old gi, or you know, or whatever gi you want. And so um. The, the the you know the origins are made in Maine. They're they're just different, and they've got some different weaves on them. And the uh, the pants. I'm a big fan of origin pants because pants don't tend to fit me very well in jujitsu. Where like I'll wear an A3 and they tend to be long on me. But the origin pants because you can pick the inseam, they they fit really well. And it's to a point where like I remember my first origin gi. The, which which is this one these black pants they fit so darn well and they're so like so smooth. I I literally got tendonitis from shooting so much because like when you do a normal shot, it's not that it's it's impossible in the gi. It just gets kind of you get kind of the 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 fabric's just not as comfortable to do it. But these pants were so smooth, like I could just shoot in them, and I shot so many times over the course of a week that uh, my I developed like tendonitis that developed for about a month. So, um, but th- it's a great gi. So it's, it's definitely my my favorite in my collection. Uh, Chewie, I say you dis- you disrupted the whole gi industrial complex by fucking dropping that that bomb that all the gis are the exact same but with different patches on them. You you truly, oh, no. you, truly you were uh, shaking cages just there or shaking ladders. That's the expression, shaking ladders. Oh man, I mean it's it's it is what it is. I mean there are, now, now listen, I say this: there are gis that are made in different places. Like there there definitely are. There are some gis that are made in different places. Some companies do have different distributors and different providers, but a lot of them. If you look at them, they're about the same gi. It's a, it's the same gi, you know, that gets, and that's it. You know what I mean? And, and you could literally, like, you could go contact some dude over overseas, and he will, like, show you the factory. Hey, do you want this gi? Whatever. So um, it is what it is, you know? Um, I mean, it's not like that's any new. I mean, like, people don't buy things because of what the, uh, you know, because of this, that, or whatever. I mean, just think about it. Like, you can have a purse, right? Or you can have a Louis Vuitton purse. Now, the Louis Vuitton purse does not have the tangible value of, of like the leather or whatever that it's made out of to justify the price. 
you're not paying for the price. You're paying for a logo, right? And that's the way it is with cars in some cases. Like a lot of times you'll have this car and that car. And granted, the car has a few extra bells and whistles, but not enough to justify like a quadruple price. But hey, you want to have this emblem that you're driving. And so you you do it, right? And so it's the same way with geese. You know, you can buy certain geese, but you want that geese cool gee right it's just uh it's just the way it is so um that's nothing new mm. uh you know it's just like a, a flexing thing just to show you have you know like show that you have enough money to waste on a superfluous thing where you could have gotten the same thing but it would serve the same purpose for cheaper but you chose to spend more money on it because you could it's just a sort of a flexing thing maybe maybe flexing and then also there's that you know, typically, what has what costs more has more value, right? Um, you know, like so, if something costs a little bit more, people will just perceive it to have more value. Um, and in all honesty, people will typically will put more into that. Like so, for instance, here's a great example. One time, I was injured, and uh, my injury was not bad enough that I couldn't teach. So I offered free private lessons to all my students. So guys, free private lessons. If you want a private lesson, I'll give it to you. Do you know how many private lessons I I gave away for free? How many? One. Okay. Now, mm-hmm. as soon as I go back to teaching private lessons and I'm paying, I'm charging money, I had private lessons all week long to where I couldn't take anymore. So you see how that works. What's free doesn't have value. So what costs money has value. And so it's things where, you know, if something is more expensive, it will just, even if there is no difference in it, it will be like, oh, there must be something better about this thing because it's cost more money. So sometimes you have things like that as well. Mm. Yeah. See, I'm just speculating this. You know the guy you who uh, free uh, private class offer, right? Mm-hmm. Did he uh, continue to take privates with you when it got went back to normal? Because you know, uh, I imagine the quality teaching was amazing since it's Schuster after all. Mm-hmm. Um. It it was a, it was a she. And uh, she, no, I know you, 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 you screwed up on that one, Andrew. Um, she, um, she, she started training. And, what's that? I'm not, I'm not psychic, man. Um, but uh, she, uh, she, uh, she started training. She didn't do a private lesson with, with me again, but she, she started training and she was, you know, became a member and did jujitsu and all that stuff, though. Mm. That private lesson ended up, honestly, that private lesson ended up being her like intro lesson. Ah, uh, okay. I oh, see. <laughs> we got a bit sidetracked. I forgot we were in the round of specifics there. So yeah, what would, what would you say was your favorite TV show when you were growing up? Hmm. Favorite TV show. Hmm. What did I watch? Um. Depends, I guess, on what time you ask me, because sometimes it was Power Rangers. That was a big one for a while. Um, X-Men was big for a bit. Um, my favorite movie as a kid was Bloodsport, um, you know, because of the martial arts stuff. But uh, I don't know. I can't think of what like my favorite show was as a kid. Um, so... It, it, it would it would have been something just something anything with like fighting related like X Men Power Rangers any of that kind of stuff Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles all that kind of stuff. <laughs> oh man, that old X Men show was so fucking good. Oh my god, that was so such a good show. 
it was, and it was pretty close to accurate as uh, as far as the comic. You know, like they get a hold of a movie and they butcher it, but the the X Men TV show, the cartoon was pretty spot on. Mm. Uh, do you remember when they were first making the the first X Men movie? They wanted Mel Gibson to be fucking Wolverine. I I really want to see Mel Gibson as Wolverine. That'd be cool. It would have been definitely interesting. I think he could have pulled it off because he's he's got that kind of like rough, grizzled look. Mm. Now I could just imagine that. The best time is what I do, Bob. What I do is that. Right. I'm Mel Gibson. Blah blah blah. I don't know. That that's a terrible impression, but you get you get the points. Yeah, it was. Impression, but I I totally know what you're going with, though. I understand where you're going with it. <laughs> Plus, can we all just agree that Logan is like the best, one of the best movies ever made? It's like so good. It's like a modern day Western, but man, it's it's such a great fucking movie if you've, if you've ever seen Logan. Yeah, it's a good movie. It's funny. I watched that movie with uh, with Jess, and I do this funny thing where um, most Hollywood movies are made with the same plot lines um, that follow roughly into... Uh, there was a guy um, who... So there's a guy named Peter uh, or uh, Joseph Campbell, and he has this whole idea of the hero's journey. And this guy, this uh, screenwriter, wrote down how movies follow this same pattern of um, the hero's journey that Joseph Campbell wrote about. And so in movies, they almost follow it exactly to a T um, in the sequence. And so when I watch movies, as for my own curiosity, sometimes I'll watch it with a stopwatch because the percentages of the movie that go through follow a predictable pattern. And so when we were watching Logan, Logan was interesting because you had a dual hero dynamic. You had both Logan and the uh, the uh, his uh, his daughter, right? And the 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 sort of hero dynamic. And like one of the things was one of the things about the hero's journey is that the hero must leave something behind in the special world. So when the hero goes off into the special world to um, get the elixir, to get the 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 magical boon, whatever that might be, the hero has to leave something behind. So in the movie. Logan had to leave behind Professor X, right? So Professor X died. And then as soon as that happened, I was like watching and I was like, oh, I was like, Wolverine's got to die in the movie then because the, the, the girl, she had to leave something behind as well in the special world. And she had had to leave behind Logan. Hmm. Uh, Steven, I I was looking up this because I was trying to find a specific clip of, um, you were talking about this before in the video. It was the one where you mentioned Shrek. Now, that is a long-standing joke in, in all my podcasts that fucking Shrek comes up eventually because it's the greatest cinematic series in the history of ever. Like, <laughs> I, actually, I actually commented on that video when it first came out. Like, oh, dude, fucking Shrek 5 is going to have Shrek doing Baron Bolos. And you're like, wait, 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 there's a Shrek 4? How, yeah, have I didn't you seen, know. There was... Have you seen Shrek 4 in the meantime? No, I've, I've, I've still capped it too. Okay, uh, don't watch Shrek 3. Shrek 3 is shit, and Shrek 4 is surprisingly good. Huh. Yeah, no, I uh, I stopped at Shrek 2. Hmm. Oh, well, Shrek 2 is the best one in the franchise. Let's just be real. That that you, That is a good place to stop if you are going to stop, but I'd recommend at least watching Shrek 4. Shrek 4, okay. I'll put it into the, the list of possibles to watch. <laughs> it's in the list of possibles. At least it's not in the <laughs> list of knowns. <laughs> Austin Chewy, what would you say is the most embarrassing injury you've ever had, whether it be a jiu-jitsu injury or not jiu-jitsu injury? Just the way you got injured was so fucking ridiculous that it just embarrasses you to think about it. 
Mm, I don't have too many of those, but there is one that was kind of funny. So, um, are you familiar with what a box jump is? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So like when you're lifting weights and like you go to the gym, you have boxes and you jump on the boxes. Well, so me and one of the guys at the gym, we had these metal jerk blocks and we were jumping on them because it was about the height that we needed for our jumps that day. I don't know why we didn't see the folly in jumping onto a metal block. But for whatever reason, we kept jumping on him. Well, I missed one of them, and I like when I came down, my shin hit the the metal rail, and it it was a these were welded together by a friend of ours, so these weren't smooth or anything like that. These were rough edged metal blocks, and the end of it just dug into my shin and scraped the skin off, and so I had a I had, I had literally had a dent to my shin. And it hurt so bad that I just ran outside and was just in the grass, just like just wincing in pain. And uh, I couldn't train normally for about a month because I had to wrap up my legs so much. So and everybody got a good, got fun. They, they were all laughing about it because they were thinking like, why were you jumping on a metal block? That's like the dumbest thing ever because everybody misses a box jump from time to time. And you definitely don't want to land on metal. And of course, you know, I just wasn't thinking about it, but that's probably uh, the most embarrassing injury. I haven't really had too many embarrassing injuries. Mm. Yeah, see, I'll give some credence to that, to jumping on a metal box, because it very, very, de- de- it doesn't, it de-incentivizes missing the box because you'll have a situation like that. So there is some merits to jumping on a metal box, to be fair. Oh, man, you know what? I just thought of one. Here's a good one. So I was getting ready. I was a week out from a fight, week out from an MMA fight. So I'm in the gym, and we have uh, we had some double-in bags set up. So the double-in bags are the, where the bag is in the middle, and you're just kind of punching, and it just kind of wobbles around. Well, I punched the double-in bag, and the damn thing, like, I don't know what was wrong with it, but the the the, the little str- uh, the, the, the bungee cord or whatever that it was strung with just was funny that day, and it came flying back at me at a, at a sort of unnormal, unusual rate that – just wasn't normal and it had a little piece of metal sticking out and the piece of metal scraped my forehead and get made a cut so i had a cut a week before the fight and had to cancel my fight because i mean literally it was cut all the way through the skin and i had to get it uh glued together but uh that one was kind of embarrassing because i had to call the promoter who's a friend of mine and said hey i can't fight because i was warming up on the double end bag and the double end bag hit back today and it, the uh, the metal piece cut my uh cut me right above my eyebrow and so i can't fight this weekend mm. uh, see my theory is that it was ghosts and a ghost possessed the bag and used to hit you back it is possible mm. yeah cue a joe rogan clip oh it's terribly possible <laughs> he says that so. He says that so goddamn much. Jesus, man, it's ridiculous. <laughs> well, well, I mean, at, at some point you're like, well, it could be a ghost. I don't know. So I just say it's very, yeah. it's, it's possible. It's possible. It could be a ghost. It could have been a, a intangible, transdimensional aliens as well. You know, might as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Alex Jones. Ah, uh, well, you know, uh, let's not get into the whole uh, frog chemical thing. Speaking of aliens, uh, do you believe in aliens? Yeah, I think I think there's probably aliens, but I don't know that they probably exist in the way that we think, because, you know, if you think about humans, we we can observe life in a particular spectrum, right? 
our eyes can only see a particular spectrum of light and color, and everything in the world around us is shaped by the way that we interpret these things. And so what if there was any, even sounds? We can only interpret a particular frequency of sound. And so what if there were beings that existed on particular ways that we just don't understand that aren't based upon the same way life form exists that we're used to, and they existed in a way that was not we weren't able to pick up. So they were they were there all around us, but we couldn't see them, you know, because we we couldn't sort of tune into that particular frequency. So I don't know. I like I I I'm just that that's my 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 weird out there idea. I I think that there's probably life form out, outside of of the Earth and probably lurking out there somewhere. But even if it did, I don't know that it's going to look like what we think of as life, right? So just my my thoughts. Mm. Steven, that's entirely possible. <laughs> well, I mean, we think of life as like even when we do our little pictures of aliens, right? The aliens always have two legs and two arms. They look like little people, right? So that's what we think of as life. We we can't we can't disseminate uh, or can't sort of separate life from us in the way that we view life. So what if life existed in a way that we just do not understand at all, and we can't even interpret it this time because we don't have the information to do so? Hmm. No, that's a good point. Uh, Chewy, moving on with that, what is your favorite philosophical quote, if you have one? Because you definitely have one, because it's, it's the Chewster, Mr. Philosophical Pining. What is your favorite philosophical quote? I don't, you know, they change. It's, it's, not, uh, it's not something that's always a constant. Um, there's one that I, I really like, and this is not my favorite quote philosophically. This is just... Uh, because, you know, it's just what's on top of my head. So this one is one that gets it gets mis, misattributed pretty often. The quote is, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a, ha- but a habit, right? So you are your habits, you know. But again, going back to it, this is normally attributed to Aristotle. It's not actually Aristotle. It's Will Durant um, sort of summarizing Aristotle in his book, uh, the story of philosophy, but, um, which is a good book. It's a fun book to read, but, um, the, uh, that idea though, we are our habits, right? You are what you do every little way in our lives. We don't get much control over much of anything, right? You don't get to control where you're born, where you're from, what kind of your genetics you're given when you do, you don't get to control much of anything, but what you do have control of are the small daily actions and habits that you form and you, you execute, right? And those are the things that, that will change you. So if you start doing just little bits and pieces of stuff, they accumulate like little water droplets, you know, get not a big deal deal in the beginning like if you leave a a bucket under a leaky faucet those little droplets aren't a big deal in the beginning but you leave that there thing there overnight and all of a sudden it's overflowing by the morning and so a lot of times it's the same way our little habits the things that seem so insignificant those little choices we make those are the things that are incredibly important and really those are the things that really we only have much control over and so i like that quote because we are you are all of us are the habits that we choose to engage and so if you understand that, then, you know, you, you put a little bit more emphasis on what you do day to day because you understand how important those little things are. And so that's that's a quote that I, I, I enjoy. It's not necessarily my favorite quote, but it's one that I was uh, I was sort of thinking about the other day. Hmm. Uh, see, I have a bit of a story to go with uh, my sort of favorite quote. I just remembered this the other day. So I have a bit of a preface to well, preface this. So are you aware of the Greek philosopher Diogenes? Right. Yeah, of course. Hmm. 
So, you know, there's a story of Alexander once went to see Diogenes. He's like, oh, dude, uh, I'll do you one favor, Diogenes, whatever you want. Huge fan, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's the sort of the Cliff Notes version. But like, he's like, yeah, could you move over? You're in the way of my sunlight because he's trying to like get some, gets to get a fresh tan or something, whatever. So Alexander mm-hmm. says, oh, dude, if I were not Alexander, I would wish to be Diogenes. And then your Diogenes is like, oh, yeah, if I were not Diogenes, I would also wish to be Diogenes. Yeah, I yeah. sort of, I sort of co-opted that. Like, if I were not Humanzi, I would wish to be Humanzi. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I sort of talk about myself in the third person sometimes. So that's my sort of thing. So is that a, a new? <laughs> is that a new level of fucking uh, ego? Ego? What's the fucking arrogance or egotisticalism? If that's the right fucking phrase. <laughs> what by referring to yourself in third person? Yes. I mean, you know, who are you? Right? Like a name was given to you, um, but you could always change your name. You could always go somewhere, change your name. So, I mean, are you your name? You know, who are you? We're so much more than we think we are, aren't we? You know, we're so much more than just like Andrew or Chewy or Nick. You know, that's my my real name. You know, even that's like my name, Nick. That I'm not Nick. I'm Chewy sometimes. Sometimes I'm Chewy. Sometimes I'm Nick. So I have I have this this dual personality that I can go back and forth between. Um, you know, and, and each one of us is a different person to different people. You know, when, when you, when you probably speak to your mother or father, you're probably a different person than when you do, when you speak to your best friends. Right. So we're all different people to different, uh, different situations. So, uh, every human's multifaceted. So, um, it's not necessarily, uh, I think egotistical to call yourself by third person. Maybe someone takes it as such, but, uh, you know, sometimes you can almost look at yourself from the third person and, and see yourself almost like as someone, um, almost sometimes someone's separate from from yourself at times like when i compete like and i watch myself compete i feel like i'm watching someone else compete because i do things and i i I am a certain way that i am not normally and so it almost looks like it's someone else out there doing it Mm. that's the chewy if you had a time machine where's the first sort of historical period you'd go to hmm I don't know. That's a good question. I always that that changes depending on what historical era I'm looking at uh, at the time. I would definitely want to some Roman history. Uh, some Greek history would be fun. Uh, it would be interesting to go back to um, even like the like the like as an American go back to the the time of our founding fathers and see what those dudes were really like. You know that would be kind of a fun thing, but. Uh, there's just too much to to know, so I don't know. It would be it would be hard to decide on just one. Hmm. Uh, that's a good one. Uh, see, man, we got a bit of a moral conundrum here. If you're up for it. Okay. Okay. See, uh, would you rather cure cancer or solve world hunger? What is that now? It was a. Uh, would you rather cure cancer or solve world hunger? Hmm. I'm not affected by hunger, so my 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 gut instinct is cure cancer. Um, but I imagine that getting rid of hunger would alleviate more bad stuff because probably more people die from malnourishment than do cancer, right? Or probably affected more 
more negatively than there because of being malnourished, right? So if we could make sure that everybody in the world was fed well, we would probably have more brain power that would be then able to contribute to uh, a cure for cancer or some treatments for for cancer that better than what we have now. So I would go for uh, ending world hunger. Mm. Uh, You know, like I always say this when someone picks world hunger, I'm like, yeah, maybe one of the hungry kids to grow up to cure cancer is to get a sort of two for one deal. Sure. Yeah. And, and I mean, and you think about all the diseases that are caused by malnourishment, you know, like around the world, like we don't really think about it, but there's still countries that are racked with things like tuberculosis and everything else. Like that was one of the big things that during the COVID, like uh, I was listening to some guys in some middle income countries talk about it and they were saying, man, like it's really bad for us because when people can't work in a middle income country, they don't eat. And if they don't eat, like they, they basically they're gonna they're gonna starve, and things are gonna get much worse for them. And so, uh, you know, they they were making a case for that. But uh, I'm I'm sorry, I continue. No, no, no. See, I get I get your point. So, Chewy, we've reached the last question. Are you ready for the last question? I would do drum roll, but I don't do the drum roll anymore because. All right. See, for the drum roll, I used to just grab screwdrivers out of the toolbox, slap them off the tool thing here. But it was it was the most unprofessional thing in the world. But uh, no, I don't do that anymore. I'm less unprofessional now. <laughs> uh, but, <clears throat> so the last question is: What would you say is the most important lesson you've learned in all your years training jiu-jitsu? Hmm. Hmm. I'm sure everybody gets different lessons. Um, probably the biggest one for me is that there's more in you than you think there is. Like a lot of times uh, people shy away from challenges because they're not sure if they're good enough. At least this is how I was when I was younger. And, uh, what I found was the more that I stepped up to plate and just did the thing and went after the challenges, the better I did. And it's been that way on the mat. It's been that way off the mat as well. And so that's been a really valuable lesson to me over the years, because a lot of the things that I do have come from a place of, well, you know, I, I even myself when I did, you know, this in jujitsu, but I did it anyway, and it worked out great. So, you know, maybe I maybe this thing off the mat will work well. So that's been a really useful sort of off the mat lesson for me. But I don't know, maybe know if it's a, if it's the most important, but it's been a useful one. Mm. Oh, man, it's a pretty good one to look at. So, guys, we reached the end of the podcast. So obviously, you're you're all aware of Chewy's social medias. It's at jujitsu on Instagram, at jujitsu podcast. At Derby City MMA, is there anything else you want to plug, uh, Chewy? Um, um, yeah, no. If 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 the um, if anybody's listening and they would like to with me and hang out or whatever, or not really hang out because you can't hang out with me. But uh, if you want to uh, sort of see what's going on, they can go to jujitsu.net. That's my website, jujitsu.net. And if they go onto my website, there's a thing that says free uh, BJJ ebook. They can click on that, subscribe to the email uh, newsletter that I give out and where I send out emails, usually Monday through Friday. So sometimes Saturday and uh, they can join there. And, uh, but other than that, that's it, man. Mm. Uh, so guys, obviously uh, fumbling there near the end. So guys, obviously support, support us on Patreon. If you want follow us all on Instagram, me and my co-hosts who will be having a topic episode this weekend. If all goes according to plan, should we do anything to say before we shoot off? No, man, that's it, bro. brother. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Thanks a lot. So, guys, hopefully I'll see you again soon. Like I said, it'll be a topic episode this weekend. I'm not going to spoil the topic because it's a surprise and that would be a bit shitty. Huh? 
that's sort of a, a nudge, nudge, wink, wink to what the topic will be. So <laughs> thanks for listening, guys. Adios.